This year, like every year since I've been the senior pastor, since 2004, uh, we've taken the month of May to focus on family. I'm, I just was convinced when I was a children's pastor that if we could get family right, or at least improve family life, uh, we, could, we could change churches, communities, and culture. Because so many problems emanate from dysfunctions within the home. And Pastor Sam just laid out last week that um, rather than fight in your marriage, you need to fight for your marriage because there's an enemy who's wanting to take your marriage down, who wants to take your family and tear it apart. And that, that enemy is Satan, and he's so sinister. He causes division. Uh, he causes dysfunction. He uh, prompts divorce and, and just, just decimates and destroys all the good things that God intended to be part of family life. And so that's why it's so hard for us to find really great examples of what, what it's like to have an awesome family. You can even flip through the pages of the Bible. I kind of dare you, find the awesome family in the Bible. They're hard to find. And it's not because they're not, they're, they're not possible. It's just that it's so difficult. You really have to lay your family before the altar of the Lord to pursue that. And so uh, we want to talk about really what is, the, I believe, the core of the family. Um, it's the husband and wife. It's the marriage relationship. Now, I know not everyone here is married, uh, but most of us are, and most of us want to be married, or most of us have been married and gone through some difficult, painful situations. And so we want to share with you today some things that we've learned over the course of our lives uh, in marriage. And so I'm going to introduce uh, my wife, Julie. She's going to come up here to share the stage with me. Would you welcome her? And rather than be just one-sided and tell you the man's perspective, I thought, I'll, I'll have Julie come up here, and then she can read what I wrote for her, and that would uh, <laughs> that will make it all good, okay? Yeah, uh, like that's going to happen. Yeah. Now, this, this is kind of cool, because this week also is our 32nd anniversary on Wednesday. <laughs> and uh, we went out for dinner last Friday night, even though our, our anniversary is this Wednesday, Friday night was just a good night to go out, plus I had a group on for a nice restaurant. So, so we went out, and you know, I always tell people, make a memory. You know, as a family, as a couple, go make a memory. And so we had a memorable dinner, didn't we? Well, it was memorable, but not in the way we were hoping. <laughs> um, I'm not going to name the restaurant, but uh, I would just say that everything was uh, pretty wrong there. Yeah, they, three different servers came to our table. And said, oh, we'll get that for you. Oh, we'll do this for you. And none of them ever came back. <laughs> and rather than get mad, I just, I was, I was kind of laughing saying, how could they be so forgetful? <laughs> I mean, they're not that busy. And um, they, they comped some of our meals. So actually, we're going back again this week to use our Groupon because it, ex- <laughs> it expires on Tuesday. So we have to go back. <laughs> um, but anyway, Julie asked me that night while we were at the restaurant, she said, hey, uh, if you look over the marriage, what percent of our years together would you say are, have been difficult, challenging? What percentage of the years have been just kind of routine, average? And then what percentage of the years together would you say have been like crazy, phenomenal, good? And, you know, I was a little embarrassed at first to think, yeah, um, probably the tough parts. If I take 32 years, now it would, would have been different after 10 years. But now, 32 years, we've learned some patterns, so it's not quite as tough. But I would say it's only about 5% of our marriage has been really difficult and challenging. Really, it's a small percentage. Um, I would say that a majority of our marriage is pretty routine. It's just the, the disciplines of life, the going through the motions, going to work, cooking meals, you know, day after day looks kind of similar. And then there's probably 25, 30% that I would say is just amazing, just, just I would say is awesome. And then she said, well, I would say kind of the same thing as well. 
And we just realized that when we say that God wants you to have an awesome marriage, it doesn't mean that every moment is awesome. It doesn't mean that every day your marriage feels awesome. That's unrealistic. I, I, would, I would not even say your Christian life is like that. When you read through the stories of people in the Bible, they weren't always on the mountaintop. There were struggles. But oftentimes it's in those difficult, challenging moments that you actually learn the secrets to an awesome marriage. And you've got to go through that um, crisis sometimes, the difficulty to really grind through it and discover what, what do we value, what do we believe, and what are we going to hold to be true. And then, the, then you start to adjust, and then you have these awesome experiences. And then again, a lot of it's routine, a lot of it's, you know, the, the everyday life, but that, that establishes predictability, kind of expectations. It's nice to come home and know what you're going to expect. And then you look forward to those special moments where maybe you go on a vacation, you have a date night, you have a special moment where you say, well, that was phenomenal, that was amazing, I love being married to this person. And so my prayer for you is that if you're in a relationship or if you desire to be in a relationship with someone, that you learn um, really to bring God into that relationship and know that he designed marriage, he designed family, to be honest. Culture tries to tweak these things and make them work differently, but God really designed it and he designed it to be a great source of joy in your life. And so even though you may be going through some difficulties, some pain in those relationships in your home, I just want you to know that God designed some of your greatest rewards to come out of your family experiences, starting with your marriage. So um, before we actually share some principles we've learned uh, over the years of marriage, um, you also need to know a little bit about our background. Well, I was raised uh, in a home with a single mother, and I have three sibling brothers, and all of us have different fathers, and none of them were around. So not only did I have any concept of what a family was supposed to be like, but certainly not a marriage and what that was supposed to be like. And so in my early 20s, I went on to marry a man that I didn't really know very well and um, made a lot of mistakes. I wasn't a Christian, didn't ever go to church, didn't really know what I was doing. But after about three years of his infidelity and his addiction to pornography, I realized this really isn't um, how it's supposed to be. My brother had invited me to church for the first time, and I just realized that this is going to save my marriage, and it's going to save my life. Unfortunately, my ex-husband had no desire whatsoever to save our marriage or to um, enter into any relationship with Christ, and so I ended up divorced. I ended up as a single mother. I had a little uh, girl, and so I started going to church and trying to figure out what this Christian life was going to be like. And I grew up in a home where mom and dad actually stayed together. They were together 63 years, but it was a rough 63 years. Um, if it wasn't for my mom's sweet, gentle nature, they wouldn't have made it that long. Now, I'm from Wisconsin. They, they say that, uh, you know, wine and cheese are better when it ages. Some people think marriage gets better as it ages, but I just want to warn you, there are some cheeses that just stink no matter how old they are. <laughs> and some marriages are the same way because... Just like that restaurant that we visited, people make promises and they don't always keep them. And they say they'll be there and they're not. And they say they'll give their best and they don't. And so we end up with a marriage. And you can be many years together with a, with a pretty boring, dull marriage because you're not giving to it. And so I hope that some of the things that we share from our experience um, will, will help you. And some, for some of you, it'll affirm what you believe because we got some Facebook posts last night of people who said some of the very same things we're going to talk about today. So the starting point would be that um, we sought a mate that shared values. 
When we started looking for someone to marry, at the core was common values. It says in um, 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And the picture there is two oxen that are yoked together, but they're going in opposite, they're pulling in opposite directions. And you know how difficult that would be to plow a field with ox like that? You, You can imagine how difficult it is to plan a family, to to function as a, as a couple if you and your spouse are going different directions. And so early on, we just um, found some things that we had in agreement. Well, when Darren and I were first uh, getting around together as friends, we weren't really dating. And so I realized that I wanted to do things differently. I wanted to have whatever was going to be a godly relationship and a godly marriage. And so As a new baby Christian, I wasn't quite sure what all that had to look like. I certainly didn't go to Bible college. I was biblically illiterate. Um, And so to seek out somebody like Darren, who was going to be a pastor, I thought, wow, I don't know if I could ever do that. And then one night at a Christmas party at our church, Darren was speaking. And as I'm listening to him, I remember the exact moment that I fell in love with him. Because I saw his heart and how much he loved Jesus and how much he wanted to live his life letting other people know about this love of Jesus. And I thought, I am in love with this man. Well, that's sweet. I wish I had the same kind of story, but I I had a little list. And since I was going to be a pastor, I said, "I I need to marry a woman who really has a strong relationship with the Lord, has walked with him a long time, and, and knows the Bible pretty well because preacher's wives get a lot of questions. So she needs to know that. I, I'm, I really want to marry someone who has a strong Christian family that she's coming from because since mine's not, they could help be the family that helps change our future. You know, we could go hang out with them and holidays and all these things. And I had uh, in my mind, I need to marry someone who's at least five foot six. Um, <laughs> I, all my, my girlfriends before Julie were dark hair, brown eyes. I just assumed that would be part of the package as well. And um, so we started dating, and I went, okay, no, 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 no. Okay, let's throw out the list because I like this girl. <laughs> and I found out that it wasn't the externals, and it wasn't the, you know, the biographical information that drew me. It was her kind of this newfound faith this joy in the Lord. And on top of that, we also found we shared some values about life, about, about kids, parenting, even some of our political views. We found out they were in line. At the same time, we found out our hobbies were very different. I like basketball, football. I like the major sports. She liked horseback riding, and she liked different things. And I thought, how are we ever going to do those together? Um, if, if I need to find a spouse that likes my hobbies, but I, I, found I don't need that. I, but I do need someone that shares the values. You know, that's spared us of tons of potential conflict because um, you can ride through a lot of other things, but when you have those values in place, it is just so powerful. And so the only area that I think we really struggled with was, was money, like um, spending, credit. We just had different views of it and how to go about it. And it took a few years to work through those. And we finally got to a place where um, we, we both could agree this is how we should manage money. We both like to give. We both had no problem with tithing, but it had to do with how much debt should we have. Um, should we go use, thing, use credit? Should we be frugal on this? Um, and God's used us to balance each other out. So those values helped a lot. And part of that was um, letting God build the relationship. And that was real key, is to let God build it. In Psalms 127.1, it says, 
Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Well, we both had come from situations in our family life where we knew a lot of what not to do. But we really didn't know a lot about what to do. So we had to learn how to invest in our marriage. And so over the years, we've gone to many marriage retreats. We've even been to counseling before because I was really trying to fix him, and that didn't work because you can't. Or maybe I didn't need that much. But we've done marriage studies. We've been involved in Bible studies together. Uh, we've done re-engage uh, several times. How many of you are graduates of re-engage here at the church? Woo-hoo-hoo. Um, we just loved investing in our marriage in those ways because, um, to be honest, we didn't know how to do it right, and we did it kind of wrong at times. And so investing in our marriage in those kind of ways was something that we would glean from that would help us develop a better relationship. Yeah, being a student of marriage, we both, we both like to learn anyway, but being a student of marriage is a key thing for us because we don't know what we're doing sometimes in this area. So learning about communication, conflict, parenting, finances, you know, praying together, all these different topics to continually learn. And even things that we've learned, we forget or we, we get out of practice and we go back to. And so we've constantly taken advantage of those seminars. And we've got a, 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 a resource here as a church called Right Now Media, which any of you can get. Um, and it's a, a whole host of videos and um, Bible studies, but there's a whole section on marriage Uh, marriage videos. Um, YouTube has a lot of of good marriage videos. We have a date night coming up Friday night. Um, And uh, there's information in your bulletin about it, but tomorrow's the last day to register. But there's going to be up to 200 uh, people here Friday night just to share a fun night with two couples. They're going to talk about marriage. And then Michael Jr., who's a hilarious comedian, is going to be part of it. And it's just learning and laughing about marriage, growing together. And if you could just make it a little bit better every year of the course of, of decades, you have an awesome marriage. So Julie mentioned re-engage. We'll start the next semester um, in um, August. Barry and Susan Dodson lead that. And uh, what is the main, what's the main thing you got out of re-engage? Well, one of the main concepts in re-engage is that you draw a circle around yourself and you fix everyone inside the circle. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, that's me. And so um, it gave me a, a new perspective on realizing how did God create me and what, did, what are the things that God wants to glean out of me or train me or, or um, fix in me. And when I'm seeking the Lord between me and, and the Lord, then I realize that there are things that I bring into the relationship that I need to change, that I need to grow in. And so when I do that, I become a better Christian, I become a better wife and a better mother and a better friend. And of course, then our marriage benefits from that. Mm-hmm. Along with, with these values comes putting God first, loving God first, and then loving your spouse second. And uh, Scripture is very clear. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. God uh, should always be first in our lives. Really, there are things that you sometimes think that if you get married, your spouse will give to you, and then you find out after you're married a while that they don't always give that to you. Only God can meet some of those needs. And we just need to realize that God is the ultimate fulfiller of needs. Whether you're married or single, he is the ultimate. You don't have to have a husband or wife to be fulfilled. There's just a blessing and a challenge to be married. Uh, but, but he is the ultimate fulfiller. So we put him first. He is first 
but then comes this relationship that we've covenanted before God in a marriage. And the reason it has to be second is because very often in, a, in um, life, you can make your job second, or you can make your kids second, you can make something else second in place of your spouse. And I'm just telling you, that's very dangerous. Well, I know as women, we tend to be extremely busy with about 100 things all at once. And so just the busyness and the chaos of life in our marriage or if you have children at home or, you know, if you're not married, that it just can get pretty chaotic. And so it's really good to set time aside to put your husband first, not your children. Um, There's times where we get away. When our kids were younger, we would leave them you know, abandon them as they thought we did. And uh, we would hook up with other couples that had children our kids' ages, and we would, you know, date night share. And I would have the kids this weekend, and a couple of weeks later they would. So you have to just be creative so that, again, you're investing in your relationship. Because guess what? Hopefully, someday, your children will leave your house. Yep. Well, some they're supposed to. Yeah, some, some of you on Mother's Day would, would just be reminded of that. One of the, your mom's waiting for you to, to one, day, one day fly and establish your own family. Okay? And then when they leave your house, their main responsibility is to give you grandchildren. Yes. So when all of that happens, guess who you're left with? Hopefully, somebody you really want to live the rest of your years with, and that should be your spouse. I, when I was a children's pastor, I watched this happen. I still see it happen where families have a, a couple has a baby, and that baby becomes so dominant in their lives that they stop dating. And sometimes it goes by three, four, five years that we haven't gone on a date yet because we're afraid to leave little Junior alone with the babysitter. And I said, shame on you. You, you didn't marry your child. You married your spouse. And you need to make sure they're first. In fact, one of the best things you can do for your kids is communicate to them that, that mom or dad... That relationship is priority in our lives. There was a time when Julie and I were dating, and, and it's even harder when you're a single parent because when you spend years with your child, um, you can become very attached to where to bring another person in your life feels very uncomfortable for that child. And so Stephanie was three years old, and we were talking on the couch, very serious conversation at the time. We were engaged to be married, and she comes over and wiggles her little bottom right in between us on the couch, like, like hey, I'm going to... I'm, I'm, right in the middle of you guys, and this is my mommy. And I looked at Julie, and she nodded. And I picked Stephanie up, and I put her over here. And I said, your mommy and I are having a conversation right now. And she, you know, pouted over there. But we wanted her to know that this is the way it's going to be from now on. This will be number one relationship. We love you, and we love you dearly. But, but this is the relationship that must be prioritized. And uh, part of that fits into this next section on... Um, protecting together time. I've, I would just suggest that I messed up on this early in our marriage in a lot of ways, um, not protecting family time. This verse doesn't sound like a marriage verse, but there's a point in here. Uh, Mark 3.14, Jesus appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. And I love the two words in there. Jesus chose them, not, not just to teach them, not just to impart gifts to them, but to be with them. For three years, Jesus basically said, I want to be with you guys so you can watch me, we can, we can eat together, we can walk together, we can laugh together, we can do life together for three years. I want to be with you. And when I married this woman, really that was my desire. I want to be with her. And marriage was the way to lock her in to that kind of relationship. Because we started off as friends. 
uh, we were trying to set up our, my roommate with her best friend, and it wasn't clicking, but we started enjoying hanging out together. So we started hanging out together and just doing something, not officially dating, just spending time together. And then it led into dating, and then it led into marriage. But um, now that we've been married for, for 32 years, we are still best friends. And James Dobson's one, Dobson once said that, um, if at all possible, marry your best friend. Because you get to spend the rest of your life with that person. And so, you know, sometimes we have these checklists of physical things, and those change. Gravity happens. You know, age happens. The body looks different decades later. But you know what I've discovered after three decades of marriage? That there's a kind of inner beauty that's, um, that you can't describe on a piece of paper. There's a kind of beauty that starts to unfold that's beyond physical beauty. And you begin to just enjoy being with that person. And so... Um, We've decided that we've got to protect Fridays on our schedule. Um, Friday's a day I don't go to work, I don't check email, I, I try to keep totally free for family and for date night for Julie. Um, I wasn't good at that early in the marriage. I used to let ministry bleed over into all kinds of things. You know, if you're in some jobs, if you own your business, if you're in ministry and you enjoy what you do, that's, that, that's an added complication. It's hard to shut it off. It's hard to say... Uh, I'm not going to do that today, but I've learned I need to do that for the sake of my family and really for my sake as well. Well, and we have found as we've gotten older too that um, because of the nature of Darren's job and how he's so invested in his ministry that we actually need to get away from y'all. We love you, but when we really need to recharge our marriage, we usually take off and preferably out of the United States so we can't even use our phones. And, uh, but we've realized that we need to do that. We need to spend that kind of time together. Last weekend, we were at a retreat for pastors and wives. And it's just a great time of refreshing not just our ministry, but also our marriage. Um, we love to travel together. We love to discover new um, uh, people groups. We love to try new food. We love to. So it's really kind of our little getaway. We don't have expensive toys or anything like that. And we love frequent flyer miles and Airbnb. Those are two of my favorite travel sites. And so uh, we just made that investment and we go a couple times a year. We actually do leave the United States and get away uh, just from the hecticness of American life and reinvest in ourselves and our marriage. So last, uh, last November... Uh, to celebrate Julie's 60th birthday. She doesn't look 60, but it was 60th birthday. We went to Thailand and spent um, a week with the missionaries, the Morrises, who our church supports. And then we spent the last uh, four or five days by ourselves, just got a little, a little uh, bungalow uh, near some water and just hung out there and just had a, a great time together. So for us, yeah, getting away from things, if that's what it takes... And I know some of you, if you're young and you say, well, that's great. You guys maybe have some money to go and do stuff like that. We haven't always. There are times early in our marriage where we would, I would stop by AM, PM. That's kind of like 7-Eleven. AM, PM gas station and get the two burgers for 99 cents. And then we go to the dollar theater. That was date night. But the key thing was we did it together. And so there's a lot of things, especially in Colorado. There's a lot of things you can do that aren't that expensive. The key thing is just be with each other, okay? Be with each other. Uh, the, here's the, the next part of being with each other is in a very special way. Um, it is to celebrate the gift of sex in a marriage. Now, for, for many people, they never heard that word in church. 
Uh, and, and honestly, for many of us, we've never heard it appropriately discussed in our own families. So I grew up in a family that never really talked about this issue. I've grown up in churches that I've never heard a sermon on this subject, ever. And here's what happens. The church has remained so silent, and Christians, Christian families, have remained so silent that the world has, has dove into that empty space and says, we'll tell you what sexuality is. We'll tell you what it's like to be a man and a woman and what sex is all about. And so they've dove into that area and really distorted things and created all kinds of um, uh, addictive behaviors and unhealthy expectations in relationships. And so what I want to do is recapture this biblical view that's very healthy. See, sex is a gift from God. He created it. He created our, our senses. He created our nerve endings. That's God's gift. Um, and we're very good as a church saying what we're against, what we're opposed to. We're not very good at telling couples, here's what you should be doing. So next week, actually, the whole sermon is going to be based on um, amazing, amazing sex. I'm not, I'm not going to be a, 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 an expert in this, but we're going to look at the Bible. And, <laughs> and no pictures. We're going to look at what the Bible says about this this subject because it's a really beautiful thing. And God gave it as a gift, a gift for a couple to bond together in a very powerful way. This is like dynamite. The the ability to be sexual is is very powerful. In fact, you know, when they transport um, explosive materials, they put it in something very safe. You know, plutonium is transported in something that's very safe. Um, Sexuality is transported in this safe environment called a marriage union. It's a commitment of a man and woman in a relationship. And in that relationship, um, the dynamics are very explosive in a good way. It can bond a couple together in a very powerful way. And sometimes, sadly, Christians have grown up feeling this is something very bad, very dirty, very ugly. Um, I guess we have to do it, you know, kind of thing. And um, we want to recapture that it's a beautiful thing. And if you're, if you're in that committed relationship, celebrate that, celebrate it. In fact, here's something the Bible says you should do. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. Well, and just a little bit of a disclaimer because next week is going to be um, pretty, maybe a little blunt for some people that uh, you may or may not want to have children of an age that um, don't need to hear some of the things that we'll talk about. But we do want to talk about it openly and honestly in, in this context. So um, be prepared for that next Sunday. Yeah, let me also add, we already, our middle schoolers and our high schools talk about, talk about this every year. Yeah. So it's like, okay, time for the grown-ups to have the talk, okay? Right. And so just let me um, add a little bit, especially for women. Um, we are fed a huge lie that we have to look a certain way, that magazines, television, um, even our friends, we, we're so busy comparing ourselves that we don't stop to think about how unique and beautiful each one of us is. I mean, if you look at all these flowers up here at the front, every single one of them is beautiful in a different way. And our God is a creator of uniqueness. And he created every single one of us women as unique, beautiful, valued children of the creator God. So when you stop and think I'm going to compare myself, just stop it. (laughs) 
And let me just say to the men, your wives want to be loved. They want to be cherished. They want to be honored. They want to be hugged and loved on. And they want to know that you value them as your partner. And let me just say, your wives want to be kissed. Yes, sister. Your wives want to be kissed and not a peck on the hit and run kiss because those happen in the, you know, mundane days of, the li- of our lives. Your wives want to be lovingly kissed. So husbands, kiss your wives. Kind of a frankly scarlet kiss, you know, Clark Gable. Yeah, that kind. Well, having fun together has been a big part of our relationship. It says in Proverbs, a joyful heart is good medicine. Well, I know that as women, we can uh, be so busy with our lives, and life can just be kind of frustrating. And believe it or not, our spouses can be kind of frustrating. I mean, when we first got married, most of us thought, yeah, I could change that about him. And guess what? You can't. And so it's kind of silly to even try. So... (laughs) So we have learned, because I'm a little more serious personality type, but Darren, I married a comedian, and he can find humor in just about anything. And so he's been able to lighten up my heart and enjoy and even laugh at myself more. And so we do. We enjoy comedy. We enjoy laughing. Um, Our grandchildren certainly bring a lot of joy and laughter to our lives. And so we just realize that life is just too short to be that sourpuss all the time. You know how little kids just have this, like, joy about life? I think God wants us to have that. And so I love looking at life and uh, the opportunities that God gives us. And just like a kid say, wow, that'd be exciting to do that. So when we were in Thailand, for example, I, I noticed um, after we were there a couple days, I said, I'd like to, I want to do something. And I noticed there's a little shop that had scooters you could rent. A lot of people get around on scooters in Thailand, just to see them zipping all around the, the streets. And so it was $6 a day, $6 for a, for a day to rent a scooter. I said, I'm, I'm getting one of those. So... Um, <laughs> I said, you want to go riding with me? She said, no way. So uh, I took it, rode around a little bit, came back and said, really, honey, it's pretty simple here. Why don't you hop on? She goes, okay, I'll try it. And just, uh, there's a picture here of, uh, of us. Now that's once we stopped after the death grip loosened on my shoulders. But we just went exploring. I mean, let's go down this road. Let's turn here. Uh, are you sure? Yeah, let's try this one. So we just, just drove along, ended up getting into the middle part of the city where now there's like four lanes of traffic and, and a, lot, a lot of foreign countries, they don't follow lines. So cars just kind of, cars and scooters like zigzag, like do all this. And I said, okay, this is getting a little scary here with someone on back and, and we're, we're riding on the wrong side of the road. So we're on the opposite side trying to figure out, okay, do we turn left here? Do we make a big turn to go right here? How do we do all this? And try to make those snap... Uh, judgments in the midst of traffic. We finally got out of the busyness and went down side streets. But then along those side streets, just stop. Hey, there's a, there's a market there. Let's stop and visit that. There's a place. They're, they're, they're cooking fish on a grill on a stick. Let's stop and get some fish. And, you know, just new things, exotic things, exploring. I, I love that about life. And I love that we can have fun doing those things together. So uh, I also want to share with you that it's important to encourage one another's ministry. Um, one of my early mistakes was to think that since I'm a pastor, and especially now that I'm a senior pastor, our whole life revolves around my ministry. 
And I've learned that um, Julie has a ministry that's just as important as my ministry. And that God has gifted her. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, do each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Every believer has gifts to explore and to use. And sometimes I find couples where one person, might be the husband, might be the wife, gets really into their gift and what it is. And the other person just stands back like in the, on the bleachers watching. And they don't, they're, not, they're not even encouraged to explore theirs. And I just want to tell you, if you have a mate that has been given gifts by God. Let, let them discover. Help them discover what is. Encourage them. And over the years, I've discovered Julie really has a love for missions and now serves on a missions board. She's taken a group of ladies to uh, Indonesia. So it's pretty cool. I guess I kind of stole, stole your thing, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, you did. Well, you can add to that if you want to. <laughs> right here, just read what it says. Okay. okay. <laughs> I've served in different roles in the church over the... <laughs> Yeah, that's how it rolls in our house. He doesn't like me to have the microphone very often. so. But I do have a love for missions. And uh, many of you may remember that two years ago I went to Indonesia for a couple of months and lived by myself, went to language school. And it was really hard and it was really great. But I connected with an, a phenomenal group there in Indonesia. And I am taking four women from our church in July for a couple of weeks, and so you can be hearing more about that later and certainly be praying about, about that. Um, we both have a love for missions, and we've gone on many short-term trips, and we encourage um, people here, if you want to go to the Mexico trip, if you want to sign up for a mission trip in the future, um, if that's something that God has planted on your heart, um, doesn't have to even be out of the United States. When you have a mission-mindedness about telling people about the gospel. It can happen in your neighborhood. It can happen at your kids' schools. It can happen anywhere. And so having that mission-mindedness is something that we definitely share. And it's really fun to watch couples when, when their ministries complement each other. I love when I see um, husbands and wives usher together or lead a small group together. We've got in, an invitation to go to Myanmar um, next year, and so we're praying about this decision, to teach on marriage and family for a week. And so it's missions, it's teaching, it's family, it's all stuff we love, and that's pretty exciting because that's something we could do together. Uh, Which leads to the last thing we want to share with you is to pray together about everything. In 1 Peter 3, 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs to you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So there's, a, there's an assumption there that the husband is praying. And it doesn't, it doesn't say whether this is private prayer or praying together, but it does say that if you want your prayers really to be effective, if you want God to understand your prayers, you better be understanding of your wife. You better be tender toward her. You better be patient. You better listen well if you want God to listen well to you. And so uh, we found out that um, just taking time to pray together is often helped us to understand each other better. I don't know what it is, but sometimes there's this, I think it's Satan who, who puts a, a lie in your head saying, you don't want to pray with that person, especially when you've had conflict. Like, you don't want to pray with her right now. I mean, she just did that to you. And so those are the very times you should be praying. And so we've learned to just to pray about everything. I know that I have said this before, that... Um At times in your marriage when it does get difficult and you do have a conflict that you're maybe not quite working out, there's something that rings in my head from the Lord that says, do you want to be right 
or do you want to be reconciled? And sometimes being right is costly to your relationship. If you're determined to always be right, then you're probably doing it at the sacrifice of your relationship. And so being reconciled is a little more easy when you're praying together, even when you think you shouldn't. There are times that we're not really good at praying every day together, but there's times when I pray for my husband, even though we're not praying together. Um, This man is not my enemy. We all know who the enemy is, right? And he's not my enemy. He's my partner. He's my best friend. And he's my husband. And so going to the throne of grace at times and praying for him um, is something that I just cherish. Um, yeah. We, we, um, we pray oftentimes before we go to bed or like we're, while we're lying in bed before we go to sleep. And um, I've heard it said, and the, actually studies have verified this, that the couple that prays together stays together. That when a couple makes a regular pattern of praying together, the, the odds that they're going to div- divorce are very minimal. And I think it's because, you've, you, for one, you've invited God into the dialogue. And two, it's hard to hide things when you go to prayer. Like if you have a conflict, it's hard to like ignore it. So what you end up doing is praying about it. And then when you pray about it, God starts to um, solve that thing. And so just prayer is so critical. And that's how we want to actually close this part here. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. And before we sing a song of response, I want to just say a prayer over you. If you're standing next to your um, spouse or your mother, or even if you hold the hand of your kids, I want to pray over you today. Father, you would help us to discover the amazingness that you've designed for these relationships, Lord. You designed us to have an amazing relationship with our spouse, with our kids, um, with you. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be humble before you, to really um, let you be Lord. Let you be, Lord. Let you build it. Let you be the center of it. Let you speak constantly into it. Let you teach us. Because only in Christ, it's only in Christ that we can really have an enduring, awesome marriage. That's our desire, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing. And I'm going to invite our prayer partners to be up front here. And maybe you're going through a, a difficult moment in a relationship. Could be your marriage, could be just your own personal identity. Maybe there's things about you that as you draw the circle around yourself, realize I need to change that. And so we invite you just to come before the Lord and bring that prayer request up here to one of our prayer partners. They would love to pray for you, to invite God into that area of your lives and so that he could do something that only he can do in Christ alone. That's our help. Let's sing that.